ever write an ad or promotion that your landing page can't cache. You can see what the top 10 pages are on your website, but should they have been the top 10 pages on your website? Google's solution to this problem of negative SEO and bad links coming into a site was the disavow tool. Welcome to the OMCP Online Marketing Best Practices Podcast, where top authors and industry leaders share authoritative best practices in online marketing. All right, welcome back to the OMCP studio. And with us today is Bill Slavsky, Director of SEO Research at GoFish Digital, author at SEO by the Sea. Bill, welcome to the OMCP Best Practices Podcast. Well, thank you for having me here, Michael. Absolutely. Well, listen, we know your blog, SEO by the Sea, for your insights on algorithm interpretation based on patents. We know you're the director of research at GoFish Digital, but some may not know you studied law. But before we get started, for those who haven't read your blog or followed your Twitter or heard you speak, tell our audience something we don't know about you and what it is you've been working on lately. Okay, I graduated from law school just before the web came around. And one of the, I was interested in environmental law. And one of my professors was writing a, a, a rewriting a paper he had written previously and updating it on finding electronic sources of information to do natural resource damage assessment. Sources like LexisNexis and so on. And eventually that became sources like the web. So I sort of had an introduction to the uh, electronic database bases that were in the world before there was a web, which was an interesting experience. So you were in some ways helping categorize knowledge from the start. What brought you into the digital era? Okay, so I, I had a friend who was a service manager at a car dealership, and he hated his job. He couldn't stand it. I, I was reading a book on how to incorporate people in Delaware. Uh, and be the registered agent as a business. And the only technical requirement for performing that job was having a postal address in Delaware so you could receive notice of process if, in case there was a lawsuit against one of those companies. So the idea was you charge people to be the registered agent, you act as a registered agent, and uh, register with the uh, Department of... Uh, corporations for the state. And I suggested it to him. He said, well, that sounds like a good idea, except I don't have a website. And I said, well, let me see what I can do about that. And I picked up a Learn the HTML in two weeks book and spent two weeks and built a website. And since then, you've helped countless businesses set up strategy for SEO. You're considered an authority on how search engines work. So it just makes sense that we're going to cover how marketers can understand how engines handle knowledge base data, queries, and results. So, Bill, I think you might agree that a primary competency, and we use this in OMCP, is that SEOs need to track the changes in how engines present information from knowledge bases. What kind of things should we be looking at? Okay, so a knowledge base is a source of knowledge like uh, Wikipedia or the Internet Movie Database. It's, it's a focused topical information on a particular top subject. And a lot of uh, concepts within those knowledge bases are connected in one way or another. Uh, that connection, the way they're connected is 
uh, how you come up with the concept of a knowledge graph, where where things are facts are connected to each other, entities are within the knowledge graph, or have relationships with other entities and with facts. So uh, a knowledge graph is is a step beyond the knowledge base, and Google. Knowledge graphs are really popular these days. There's there's lots of activity from not just Google but Amazon, Microsoft. Uh, there, are, uh, Google. Somebody from Google came out with a paper on personal knowledge graphs recently, where he talked about individuals will have their own knowledge graphs that cater to their particular interests. So if you have an electronic bicycle. It might have information on electronic bicycles and how to repair them. You know, so you have a personal search, which is based upon your historic search data. So a knowledge graph that's a personal knowledge graph might be based upon your personal search history. And I could even present it or maintain it myself. The paper didn't really go into that much detail about how it might be managed by an individual, but that potentially could be something that could be done. It's a way to think about how a search engine might be viewing the searcher. Right. And I also brought it up because when we talk about the Google knowledge graph, we think of it as one. But it's possible Google uses lots of knowledge graphs. And would one way that they build that be based on how we ask questions? It might be based upon the approach that they're using to answer questions. Okay. So there, there, are, there are some approaches that they use where they... Uh, look at the knowledge graph and they try to match up what words are in your query to ent known entities and facts about those entities and, and they'll answer the capital of Poland is Warsaw, right? Because that's something that the knowledge graph got from uh, colon the limited uh, table in Wikipedia and it knows the answer. But they might try an approach where a knowledge graph and and answer, question answering is done by creating a knowledge graph specifically for that question. So they'll take your query and they'll do a search using Google. And they'll find maybe the top 10% of results that are appropriate for the meaning of your query. And they'll build a knowledge graph out of those. And then they'll find the answer. So they, they could be building lots of knowledge graphs on a regular basis which they could then incorporate into the big knowledge graph. And how can we track those changes and what's new with Google and what they're doing? We can't necessarily track the knowledge graph itself. We, we, can, we can see some things. At one point in time, Google was using uh, a database, a knowledge base that they acquired from MetaWeb called Freebase to act as a knowledge graph. Before Freebase, Google had something that they were referring to as the uh, annotation framework, which had a browsable fact repository, which was their knowledge graph. Uh, there was no way to track the browsable fact repository. Sometimes we'd hear statistics about Freebase and how many facts it contained, how many entities it contained. Often it was in the billions. Uh, they gave up on maintaining Freebase because it was a human-edited project, and uh, there were people in Germany uh, building something called Wikidata, which was very much like Freebase, except 
there was a lot of enthusiasm for it, and it was working really well. It was growing quickly. Uh, it's possible they may be working towards trying to go past that by maybe automating the process of building knowledge graph and knowledge bases. The uh, process I talked about where they're doing question answering using individual knowledge bases or individual knowledge graphs, which they could then uh, incorporate into a larger knowledge graph would be one way. Uh, it's, it's possible they could uh, find a news source that, that has formatting that's easy for them to uh, extract entities from and relationships between entities and properties and attributes. Like, like uh, DeepMind was, was doing that with the Daily Mail and CNN because the format made it really easy for them to uh, uh, take that information and put it into an Oscraft. So at some point, it's a matter of Googlebot reading the web, grabbing information, grabbing facts from it, and putting those into an Oscraft. How do images uh, play into this? Okay, there, there have been a couple approaches historically. Uh, about seven or eight years ago, uh, Google started using what's referred to as machine IDs and identifiers from the Freebase project for entities that there were images of. So if you did a reverse image, if you did an image search where you uh, search for a known entity, like a band, like the Beatles, Google would say, the Beatles, that's a uh, machine ID and a string of characters and letters. Let's find all the results that match that. So it wouldn't necessarily have to look for images. It would look for images that are tagged, that are labeled with that machine ID. And those machine IDs are now used to places like Google Lens. So if you, if you take a picture of a band and you uh, search in Google Lens using that picture of that band, Google can recognize who the band is, doing uh, object recognition, and say the entity ID for that is such and such. Let's see if there are any web pages for it. It finds event schema that says that the band is touring in certain places, and it'll tell you what the touring dates are for that band, what the cost of tickets are, and it's smart about entities. We, you and I were just touching on ontology-based image categories. Tell us a little bit about that. Okay, so if you do a search... If you're in the United States, if you're a fan of history, this was kind of fascinating. I tried, you search for a president like John F. Kennedy, and you can see events that happened during Kennedy's life in image categories, because categories are all ontology-based. They're all about other entities or places or times uh, that, that are associated with the query term that you used. So if you search for Harry S. Truman, you'll see stuff about uh, World War II. If you search for John F. Kennedy, you'll see things from Dallas and the Grassy Knoll. Uh, if you search for Donald Trump, you'll see caricatures from Time Magazine. And this built on top of what was kind of the Freebase ID. Is that correct? The ontologies aren't necessarily based on the Freebase ID. They, they are based upon possibly a knowledge of related entities, but they tend to be based upon things like query logs that might be associated with 
certain individuals or places. So if you search for Carlsbad, California, where I'm at, you'll see uh, a category that's for Legoland, which is an amusement center a couple miles from here. You'll see images of the beach because I'm not too far from the beach, thank God. Bill, let's talk a little bit about augmented queries based on knowledge graphs. Okay. So the concept of augmentation is that Google may find ways to merge the organic web search results that you've seen with something else. So there are augmented paid search uh, results where Google may show you uh, geographic location extensions with your organic search results. So if your organic search results have entities in them, brand names, for instance, Google might show uh, advertisements from those same brands that are augmented in some ways. They, they offer the uh, advertiser the chance to uh, expand upon those by including things like images, things that are for sale, uh, locations of the nearest stores. Uh, there, in addition to the paid search results, Google may augment search results with knowledge-based type information. If there's an entity in your query, Google might say, let's show the knowledge graph result, or let's show a knowledge panel result for that entity. Let's show people ask questions for that entity, uh, structured snippets. So you're going to get more than just the uh, 12 blue links like, like you used to have before there was a universal search. And universal search, that patent was updated to go beyond just showing uh, news and images and videos and web results to all kinds of results which include the knowledge graph results. So if you do a query for Amazon, you'll see a bunch of related entities showing. You'll see people also ask questions, a knowledge graph for Amazon, and a bunch of knowledge-related uh, items within those results. Which even more underscores the need for us to present structured data. Now, Bill, you and I, we were chatting at PubCon a few weeks ago. <laughs> yeah. We were discussing yeah. uh, relevance of content. I think it's it's known, you and I both agree that SEOs have to pursue genuine relevance, that genuine relevant, genuinely relevant content wins in the long run. Right. It's also important for us to know how to signal that relevance to the engines. And Specifically, because we've been talking about knowledge-based data, what are the engines looking for in the context of knowledge-based data? Okay, so when you include things like schema on a page, or you have a table with a, a fact-based table instead of a layout-based table, one that has headers that are labeled certain things like names of cities or uh, parts for electronic equipment, uh, like like uh, TVs are really big in uh, e-commerce, and they're often laid out uh, in tables on e-commerce websites. Uh, that structured data, the the JSON LD or the uh, metadata, is considered structured data too, as as well as the table data. Those augmentation queries I was talking about, 
there is a type of augmentation query that looks for structured data to possibly include with the results for regular queries. So if you search for uh, 8K TVs, you might see a bunch of pictures of 8K TVs. You might see uh, structured data from a website, from tables, whatever, in structured snippets that maybe show a snippet for a page and then facts from the tables on that page underneath it. Uh, there's a schema for plumbers. And one of the additions to schema markup, uh, one of the attributes that they added recently was known for. So a known for is something that expresses some uh, type of expertise. So if you're a plumber who, who knows about uh, drain repair, you could have in your schema uh, that you're a plumber and that you know about drain repair. And if somebody searches for, uh, say you're in Los Angeles, someone searches for Los Angeles plumber, and Google says, we're going to augment these results. We're going to include some of the stuff from the schema for the page, like this fact that this plumber knows about drain repair. So they'll show a result where they let you know that the plumber knows about drain repair, which if that's what a person searching for a plumber wants to see, may bring somebody to you. And they might have done a yeah. prior search, right? And the context of the knowledge graph saying that they were looking for drain repair at first and then a subsequent search looking for plumber in a particular region. Um, do you believe that that could be combined to give a, an enhanced result? I think that's very possible. Yeah. Now, beyond Google, I know that Amazon, Microsoft uh, are making some headway in these areas as well. Is there anything we should be looking at there? So Microsoft has a concept-based graph. And I, I like looking at these things when, when I do a site audit. I'll look at the knowledge graph on Google. I'll look at the uh, knowledge graph. It's not known as a knowledge graph on Bing, but they have them and see what it contains, how it might be different from the one on Google. Because sometimes what you get in a knowledge graph isn't necessarily what you want. Had a client who was a car dealership and their knowledge graph showed their repair shop, which they didn't want. They want to sell more cars, right? So they didn't want the knowledge graph showing the repair uh, shop. Uh, so, Make sure the knowledge graph shows what you want to show. And that was just a matter of uh, contacting Google through the feedback form and letting them know that they chose the wrong thing to show. Uh, they do give us a chance to say how we want that to be. Um, also, I know that Google provides tools to test our structured data. Where else do you suggest that we go to make sure that we're presenting properly? Okay, so in addition to the structured data testing tool and the rich results tool that Google offers, they're including things in the uh, uh, Google Search Console, which lets you look at all the pages on your site in a glance. So, you know, if, if you have maybe a mistake with one page, if you want to catch it, that may be a good way to catch it because it's all, it's all accumulated there. Okay, any other tools to check our site uh, or to spot errors? 
it's it's uh the tools from a place like Google let you know give you a sense of what Google might be looking for. Google might interpret the uh, schema on your web page in a certain way that a different source might uh, interpret it. Like one of the guys who works on who worked on JSON-LD for the W3C uh, created a linter, which is a way of validating JSON. And I've used it in the past. I don't use it when I'm looking at schema for Google because uh, I'm not quite sure that the way it validates schema markup is the same as the way Google validates schema markup. And I, I want to check what they validate. Or, or the structured data testing tool or the rich results tool, right? Bill, we know that these things are changing over time. If you were to advise an SEO on staying up to date with these developments and how the engines are handling these, uh, where would you suggest they look? Okay, the first place might involve reading an additional 20 or 30 emails a month, which is a WC3 uh, schema mailing list. And it discusses new updates to schema and new releases. Schema is now coming out, uh, updates schema is now coming out about once a month. So it's it's a quickly developing uh, part of SEO. In addition to new schema, uh, new attributes, and schema covering certain things, is the uh, ability for people to uh, provide extensions for schema. So GS1 is an international uh, organization that works with lots and lots of uh, uh, manufacturers and, and distributors, and they're the ones who developed uh, commercial barcodes. They've developed some schema markup for e-commerce, and they've got a, a GS1 wizard to help you write that schema. Okay. And that's one of the extensions for schema. There was another schema that came out last year that was from the financial industry. It's uh, FIBO, F-I-B-O, Financial Industry Business Ontology. And that schema is for banks and for uh, businesses that uh, service loans. All right, Bill, these have been great practices. I really appreciate it. Many of the concepts that we covered will be on the exam, specifically in the practices of staying up to date with these and providing relevant signals. Any final guidelines that apply to how engines handle knowledge-based data? So this isn't new material. This is something that has been part of Google since the earliest days. When Larry Page came out with the PageRank algorithm in 1998, Sergey Brin followed a patent, which was possibly the second patent from Google, on an algorithm which he referred to as uh, DIPRA. D-I-P-R-E, which has to do with patterns and relationships, uh, where, where he identified five books, the publishers, the authors, uh, the lengths of the books. And uh, the algorithm was supposed to find those books on websites. And if it could find all five of them on a website, it was supposed to collect information 
factual information about all the other books on the same websites. And it was a way of uh, crawling the web for facts and for relationships. Uh, so I, I mentioned relationships. We were talking about relevance and relationships between entities and properties is sort of the new relevance when it comes to knowledge graphs, knowledge bases. Uh, Google will look for information to try to gauge a confidence level between an entity and a fact about an entity. Uh, Mickey Mantle is a baseball player. 87% chance of that being true, according to everything is crawled on the web. And it looks at uh, freshness of sites. It looks at reliability. It looks at popularity. And it, it learns from sites which things are more likely true about entities than not. So when you're talking about things like uh, med medical sites, they talk about science and whether or not there's a scientific consensus for a concept. Google tries to get an idea of what uh, information is relevant, is up to date, is more likely than not to be true based upon creating what they refer to as association scores for that information. It might be saying, okay, uh, we have lots of medical information from the uh, National Institute of Health and from PubMed about certain topics like uh, treatments for different diseases. And they're likely more true than not. So if we have other sites that are referring us to different things, we're going to have less confidence in those. Uh, that is the time that we have today. A big thank you to Bill Slosky. Check out Bill's posts at seobythesea.com. Also, uh, I know that Bill posts on gofishdigital.com. You can uh, search for him there and see his posts, and they're quite illuminating. Be sure to see Bill uh, speaking at PubCon and other conferences. Bill, I think you mentioned that you're going to be speaking in Italy next. Where else can people engage with you? I'm, the only real place I have left to speak this year is in Italy. That's my last conference. Which conference uh, is that? That's SMXL. Okay. Milan. All right. In Milan. All right. Great place to go. I hope you enjoy your trip out there. Uh, I, I went last year and they invited me back. So <laughs> That's a good sign. I couldn't, I couldn't, I couldn't say no. <laughs> yeah. Well, thanks, Bill. Listeners, what Bill shared today is definitely aligned with the OMCP standards of competencies, and some of this will show up on the exam. I'm your host. Michael Stebbins, and you've been listening to the OMCP Online Marketing Best Practices Podcast. OMCP maintains the certification standards for the online marketing industry in cooperation with industry leaders, just like Bill. Uh, join us inside of OMCP to maintain your certification, get some good offers, and engage with other certified professionals, universities, and training programs that teach to OMCP standards. <laughs>